Can a man survive without food? No, you don't think so, eh? What about a fish? Can a fish survive without water? Not very long. We've, some of us have tried that and seen. Hopefully, when we go fishing, we don't let them suffer too long. But uh, can a, a bird fly without wings? Not usually. Can an engine run without fuel? Kelly, Kelly, can, can an engine... If I put water instead of gas, that'd be cheaper, wouldn't it? I could get away with that, right? No. Can a branch produce fruit without the life-giving vine? Or, or a trunk of a tree? No. You know, we recognize that these things are essential for the one thing to function needs... The other. Well, in order for us to have a life that is pleasing to God, that bears fruit, we need Jesus. We need Christ in order to live and to thrive, in order to run, as we talked about last week, in order to stand firm. And you know, sometimes maybe that can seem obvious. It's sort of the thing you learn in Sunday school if you've grown up in church or if you came to know the Lord, that's one of the first things we realize. We're dependent on God. We need Him in our lives for every breath even, for all the things that we enjoy and have. But I want to focus on this today partly because of where we are in Philippians. You know, throughout the letter of Philippians, the call of the gospel is really much emphasized. Paul is writing to a church of strong believers. They know the Lord. And so in verse 127, he tells them, live, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And in chapter 3, he calls us citizens of heaven. So there are a lot of commands and teachings about how we're to live as Christians in the book of Philippians. What God expects of citizens of heaven, members of his kingdom. And today's scripture, which is Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, This passage really sums up so many of these themes that we've talked about, especially the ones in chapters two and three. We have the theme of joy in our passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul has talked about that. He talked about his joy in his suffering. And he called them to rejoice in the Lord and in chapter three, verse one. And we have also here, we have this theme of unity. We talked a lot about that in chapter 2. That we're to be humble, to be of one mind, like Christ. That we're to have the attitude, the heart of a servant. And we're going to see that again. The text talks about agreeing in the Lord, being like-minded. And we see the theme of godly thinking, what we set our minds on. 
We talked about that, setting our minds on Christ, chapter 2. And here, we are told to think on these things, Philippians 4, verse 8. And so we have all these themes that come up again in our passage today. What it means to stand firm in the Lord, to live a godly life. And living a godly life can sometimes seem overwhelming. Maybe even at times it can seem out of reach. I want to draw our attention this morning to a very significant phrase in our passage. It shows up three times in nine verses. And that's the phrase, in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And I think all of the rest of these things flow out of that as well. That standing firm in the Lord. You know, we we don't produce joy and gentleness or godly meditations, these good things, on our own. All of these things flow out of our relationship With the Lord, we need him to live a godly life. I was reading this morning in Romans 8, and I I wasn't going there. I wasn't thinking about it. But it was another reminder about being in the Lord. And I read in Romans 8, verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's not possible for us on our own, to to be pleasing to God. And yet that is what God has created us for. That's what we were made for. Our purpose, way back in, in Genesis, even, we see that. And then verse 10 goes on and says, If Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is your life because of righteousness. And I was reading on and I realized, you know, it's such a freeing thing to realize. If Christ is in us, as verse 1 says, there's no condemnation. The old man is dead. But the Spirit is our life. And that leaves us in verse 12 with an obligation not to live according to the flesh, but putting to death the deeds of the body, saying no to sin, no to our own way. And that's really what we're talking about this morning. It's a reminder of what we have and what we are in the Lord. When we have a relationship with Him, we are made new. And we are able to continue to pursue godliness. Because his spirit is within us. And there are a lot of commands in today's scripture. But the key that unlocks everything is remembering who we're connected to. Who are you in? Who do you belong to? When we know Jesus, we come to know his peace. 
When we know Jesus, when we remember who we're connected to as believers, we're able to stay strong and to stand firm. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I want to take you now, if you'd read, um, we're going to read verse 1. Philippians 4, verse 1. says, uh, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, my beloved, stand firm thus in the Lord. You know, Paul loves the Philippians. He calls them his brothers. He loves, he longs for them. He wants to see them. Several times he said, you know, I hope to see you soon. I'm confident in the Lord that I'm going to get to see you. Even though he was in prison, he was longing to see them. He rejoiced in them that they belong to the Lord. And so he tells them, stand firm in the Lord. And and this is not a burden. He's laying before them because he loves them. The path of peace and joy. But first, he points them back to the things that he has been teaching them in chapters 1 to 3. And the words, therefore, And thus are our clues here. A good friend of mine reminded me the other day the word therefore. It uh, you know what the word therefore means? What it what it's uh, supposed to do? Well, it reminds us to look and see what it's there for, right? And uh, you know when we look at what comes before, we see what what it is there for. Why? We're being told what we're being told. And so Paul, he's been laying a foundation for us of what it means to live a godly life, a God-honoring life as a citizen of heaven. We saw that back in in chapter 1, verse 27. What did Paul say there? He's standing firm. The very same thing he talks about here. Standing firm, striving firm together for the gospel. And we've seen what that looks like in chapters 2 and 3 with the joy and humility and obedience and running the race. And that's what we talked about last week. In chapter 3, 12 to 21, we talked about running the race and having a single focus on Jesus Christ and what lies before us. Well, now in chapter four, verse one, Paul puts this truth another way for us. Again, it's like he's he's recapping it for us. And he tells us, therefore, in light of all these things I've been teaching you, he's going to basically tell it to us again in many ways. He says, stand firm in the Lord. It turns out the secret of running well and continuing on in this race is to to be firmly grounded in the Lord. Our union, our connection with Christ, being in Him, 
is what enables us to live out all these things that Paul has been teaching us in Philippians 1 through 3. And you know, Paul is going to talk about this again. And we're going to talk about it next week, that passage where he says, I can do all things through whom? Through Christ who strengthens me. We think about what it means to be in the Lord, to be united with Christ. Our passage here doesn't say very much about it. It it just says in the Lord. And you go, what what does that mean? I want to take you to one passage. And, And this passage also doesn't say the word. It doesn't say the words in the Lord. But it's talking about the same theme. It's describing for us what it looks like to be in the Lord. So I want to take you to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians is a couple books before Philippians. And Paul is talking to them in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 20 of Galatians. And he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We've died to our old ways. The old man is dead. But Christ lives in me. He's working in us. It's his presence in our lives that makes all the difference here. And now Paul says uh, or that the life I now live. So he see he's still Alive, right? He, he says, I'm dead. It's no longer I who live, but yet he's alive, right? It kind of seems funny, but what he's saying here is that Christ is in me. And the life that I live, he, he says, I live by faith in Jesus. I live my life by faith in the Son of God who lives in me, who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's the secret. It's it's Jesus Christ and who he is. Having faith in his love, his sacrifice, his strength. Going to him in all of life because we need him and because he's there, he's near, he's in us today as believers. You see how Paul knows Jesus and his confidence is in Jesus here. He knew he was alive. He knew that Jesus died for him and that he lived in him. You put it another way to put it in the words of Philippians four. he knew that he was in the Lord. What about you and I? We trust in Christ's sacrifice, that he died for you and I. You know, if you put your faith in him alone, then you too are in the Lord. He lives in you. You're connected to the source of life and power and peace. And that means that you can stand firm. You can become more like Christ. You can live the godly life, the God-honoring life that God desires you to live. 
as we stand firm in the Lord, as we remember Him, the one that we're connected to. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, okay, I've got a relationship with the Lord. I trust Him. Uh, you know, I've prayed that the Lord would forgive me. I believe this. But like, how does God want me to live? What does a godly life look like? How do I get there, right? What does it look like to stand firm in Christ? Well, Paul gives us seven commands here. And it's a lot. And verses 2 through 9 of Philippians chapter 4. And, and it brings together all the things that Paul has been saying to us. So we're going to talk about these seven things. I'm going to mention them right off the top. And we're going to talk. I know it's a lot. N none of us are going to get it all down in this one shot. In, chat, in verses 2 and 3, Paul talks about harmony or unity in the Lord. In verse 4, joy, again, in the Lord. Talks about being known for gentleness, verse 5. And then what does he do? He encourages us. He says, the Lord is near, right? And that connects not only to gentleness, but also don't be anxious, verse 6. That's 4. Instead of being anxious, we're to pray to the Lord with thanksgiving. When? When do we pray to the Lord with thanksgiving? It's our memory verse. Can anybody tell me? In how many situations? All. Oh, wow. Good, good. That's verse 7. We're told to think on these things. On these good things. These things that are God-honoring. Verse 8. And to practice these things. Verse 9. And that's a law. But I want you to remember that these godly characteristics and actions don't show up out of nowhere. They come as we get to know our Savior, the one who's able to strengthen us. All these things, rejoicing, gentleness, prayer, godly meditations, these things are the fruit of being connected to Jesus. We need to have first things first, right? What is my relationship with the Lord? And what does it mean to be connected to Him? And as we grow in godliness, the peace of God, this is wonderful. This passage really brings it out. The peace of God will protect us and His presence will be with us. You know that the way towards Christ, that being in, in the Lord and following his ways, that's the path towards knowing his peace in our lives. That's the path that I want us to be on. And I hope that you also desire to be on that path of growing in, in the grace and knowledge of God and, and godliness. So let's look at these seven things that Paul commands. The first, and I'll read verses 2 and 3, is harmony in the Lord. 
Verse 2 says, I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Harmony or unity, this this agreeing, being like-minded, is, is a major focus in Philippians. Again, this goes back to verse 27 of chapter 1. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind. And then again, we talked about this in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Well, maybe now we know why Paul spent so much time on this subject. He, he had some people in mind. He had situations. And this is something that we all need, isn't it? You know, Yudia and, and Syntyche, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but they were faithful fellow workers. And, and it says their names were in the book of life. They were believers. And they had a disagreement. Doesn't say what. They were fighting about something. And you know, it was serious. It was serious enough that, you know, it wasn't like this little thing that, oh, that's okay. They didn't let it go, whatever it was. And so Paul pleads with them earnestly. In this letter that was going to be read to the whole church, can imagine you get up, it's a nice, you know, oh, agree in the Lord, chapter 2. You know, seek Christ, chapter 3, and run the race, and then, boom. Judea and Syntyche here. But Paul was able to say this because of his relationship with them, his love for them, and um, no doubt their maturity, too. They were, they were people who loved the Lord. They, they worked and sought the Lord. And so they should know better. You know, when Paul urges them to agree, he's, he's telling them exactly what he's told them before. That same word is, is in chapter 2, verse 2. To be of the same mind, to be like-minded, to agree. And so here really is a, a very specific situation where they were to put into practice humility, sacrifice, an interest in the other, ahead of their own interests and their own goals and plans and desires. That's just as he had taught. What is a specific situation in our lives? A specific situation where we need to be humble, to be sacrificial, or to be like-minded, where there may be a disagreement. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a spouse, a fight with a spouse, or a sibling, or a friend. Now, I'm sure that we can think of someone 
in some way. How can we seek their interests as Paul has commanded? How can we seek to agree in the Lord and the things that he says are important? And you know what? There's hope here too. Paul encouraged the unnamed true companion. People have suggested different. Maybe it referred to Epaphroditus. Maybe he was talking about some other guy. We don't know. But he encouraged him to help these women. You know, we're all in a place at times of needing help. And being able, by God's grace, to help one another. And that's what the church is, is meant to be. We have this uh, hope and this help and coming alongside when there's disagreement and there's trouble. So we have that help. But more importantly, most importantly of all, Paul reminds them of their relationship with the Lord. He says, agree in the Lord. Why? Why agree? Because he died to unite us all to himself. You know that he dealt with our disagreements on the cross? He knew all about them. And he went to the cross. Fighting isn't the right thing between two Christians. You know, think of Cain killing Abel. Way back at the beginning, after Adam and Eve sinned, well, that's not the way that we're to function, and yet sometimes we're like that in our hearts. And you can say, well, that's okay, but, but how? I mean, I've tried, and they, they don't want to listen. Well, the answer again is because you're in the Lord, because He is in you. You know, the Word of God tells us that through His Word and, and His Spirit, we are fully equipped to, for every good work. We're fully equipped to humble ourselves, to put their interests ahead of our own, even when they don't respond. That takes a bit of discipline, a commitment. To, to Christ's attitude, how he went to the cross for enemies. To where able, because of our relationship with the Lord, because of all that he is, is he enough for us? Or do we have to have our way? In a situation. Can we be faithful when there's no results? And you know. If Jesus is our Lord. That means that he's with us. And we can learn. To respond to disagreements in his way. With the humility. The gentleness. The genuine interest in the other person that he himself has shown to us when we did not deserve it.
And God is faithful. He will help you and I. Harmony is more than possible in the Lord. Well, we got a lot left. And I've been dragging along here, so hopefully we'll get through it all. But the second thing we see is that we can rejoice always in the Lord. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, Rejoice. How many times does Paul say rejoice? Always. He says always. Yep, not sometimes, always. And he repeats himself twice here because he wants to make that point. And again, you know, we can go, well, oh, disagreements. You know, maybe I can do that in the Lord, but rejoice always. How can I do that? You know. Well, again, it's a question of who do we belong to? And it's a question of who do we love? Who do we value? You see, if we recognize that Christ is the greatest treasure, which Paul has just been teaching us all throughout chapter three, he's the one that matters. If we believe that, and when we realize then that we belong to that God, we belong to the one who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's what it means to be in the Lord. Then we can rejoice when we lose everything because he is everything, not other people or situations. You know, all those things will fail us at some point. You just look at our world. Death and sickness and sin and misery are the world we live in apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the only one who can enable us to walk in the midst of this world and run that race. Because he is constant. He is faithful in the midst of all the circumstances. And he is that prize that awaits us at the end of the race. He is the one who goes with us along the way. Do we believe that? You know how we think of God determines the way our life will go. Who is he? Is he faithful? Is he enough when all crumbles around us? Or do we think that we need something more to fill us up? We can rejoice when our rejoicing is in the Lord, in who he is in our security in Him. Well, we know who God is. He's good. He's strong. He's faithful. He's wise. Then we can live with harmony. We can live with joy. Verse 5, gentleness too. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
So Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all. And you go, well, that's another thing on my plate. I got to be happy and rejoice and I've got to agree. But gentleness, why can't I be a little harsh or vindictive sometimes? Well, Paul says the Lord is near. He's right there with us. We don't have to take vengeance or act harshly. He's present with you. What a joy. But you know, it's only a joy if we love him. If we don't care, then we'll act the way we want to act without gentleness. But when we remember he is near, we can rejoice, we can be gentle. It's possible also that Paul is highlighting that Christ's return is near. He could come at any moment. Not only is he with us right now, but he can make things right. Just like that. How does that comfort and encourage us? Well, God's nearness is connected to gentleness. But it's also connected here to, keep, uh, to anxiety. I want to read verses 6 to 8. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, anxiety reveals something of what we think of the Lord, doesn't it? Do we see him as, as the God who's near? The God that we can trust. Really, anxiety reveals that our hearts have turned aside from the Lord. That we're trusting in and we're valuing something else. You know, it's important that we Seek to get at the root of why we worry. What is going on? And that can be really, really hard because life has a lot of things going on that it throws at us. But the, the weed killer here to that uh, anxiety is two things. It's first of all, God is near. The truth that he is good all-wise, all-powerful, right there with you. The, the weed killer is, who is God? And do we see that? Do we believe that? Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, spoke of the children of God, and we have nothing to worry about, right? He talked about the sparrow that falls, and the Father knows it, and how much more. He knows the situations in our lives. And all we need is to ask, 
to trust the goodness of our Father. And that's really what verses 6 and 7 are all about. Praying with thanksgiving. Going to God, trusting in His goodness. Do we see who He is? And we can go to Him. And we can trust in Him. And you know, when we do that, when we acknowledge His goodness and come to Him for help, what does God promise? He promises to guard our hearts with His peace. And later on in verse 9, He promises His presence with us. We can count on that when we are going to the Lord, trusting Him. He promises peace. I sure need that. Sure need to know that I can trust the Lord. That He is good, that He's near in our troubles. So harmony and joy and gentleness and thankful prayer. These things are not impossible. They're very much possible in the Lord. As we come to know Him and His nearness, we learn to go to Him and experience His peace. We got two more things, and really verses 8 and 9 tell us to consider what we're thinking about and then to put into practice these things that we have been talking about this morning. When we read verse 8, and I won't read it for you, but it talks about what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely. If there's anything worthy of praise that we think about these things. And I'm sure many things could come to mind to us. You think about something that's commendable. We could think of a person we know and something they've done or something that is Lovely, we might think of the sunset. There's many things, but more than anything, there's someone who is all of these things all the time. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that this list was meant to point us to him. That all the things that we see in this world that are lovely and good and pure and true and commendable, they're pointing us to Jesus' perfect character. This is the God who is near. This is the one that we are connected to right here. And so I want to ask you, what ways do you think of the Lord? And what are some things in the world that you see that reflect his perfect character? It's good to recognize those things and to recognize the source of those things and, and who they're pointing to. Pointing us to the Lord. And not only should we think on these things, but we ought to practice these things, verse 9. Really, all that Paul has said in this letter, and especially these past eight verses, Paul says the one who's in the Lord the one who wants to know the peace of God in his life and his presence. This is the one who doesn't just hear the words, he does them, he practices these things. You know, the path to peace is, is obedience. 
It's following through on all these things that we have heard. And we've also heard that we can't do this on our own, right? We need to go to the Lord. We need to know who He is. We need to be connected to Him. Have a relationship with Him through faith in in His work. If we want to know the peace and presence of God, then we need to be serious about our relationship with Christ. Remembering who we're connected to. When's the last time that you thought about being in Christ, in the Lord, having a relationship with Him? I've hardly touched on what that means. The book of uh, Ephesians we went through last summer really talks about so many different aspects of being in the Lord. And I'd encourage you to search the scriptures to see the blessings that come with it and some of the responsibilities like we talked about today. I think it's good to ask ourselves, do I think of myself as someone who's, who's united in Christ, that's in the Lord? Do I think of myself that way? Do I maybe know what that means? And we're not sure that we're in Christ. The scripture calls us, calls all people to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the scripture tells us that we'll be saved, that we will be forgiven of our sins and united with him. Safe and, and secure in him. More than anything, my prayer for our church is that we would stand totally secure in Jesus, that we would know who we are in the Lord. And we would know that who He is, that He's faithful. And we have no reason to doubt Him. Who are we connected to? If you're in the Lord, then you're able to stand. 